to life and say, you know what, I've, I've failed to live that out, you'd understand that God's purpose is never to condemn you. It's to help you take where you are right now and to, if you're in a marriage now, to make the most of this marriage. If someday you, you will be married, it's to understand God's design. But it is certainly not to bring any condemnation in your life. So I just want to say that up front. A few weeks ago, I bought a, a router table, and I'm doing a project at home. And so I, I bought this router table, and it was a great, you know, I, I saw the picture of it, and then, of course, it comes. It's in a box this high. You know how that is? And uh, 4,004 parts, and a uh, manual about this thick, how to put it together. But when you get those things, you've got to go by the manual, because if you don't, you're lost. You know, it seems like gone are the days when you can just open up something and figure it out intuitively. And so I, I went through step by step, and lo and behold, I got done. It was all together just as it was intended to be. And somebody made that table, somebody that knew what they were doing, and they wrote it up. And so as I followed the instructions, it, it worked. Then I got a router, and I put the router in it. And a router is, a, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, working in a workshop, it's a little tool that spins these little routers, these little knives, very fast, and it does all the decorative edging on cupboards and that kind of thing. So I, I took the router, and I put it in there, and I put in the bit, and I was going to make uh, some cupboard doors, and it cuts a groove and a tongue in there, and, and it wasn't working. The, the groove was way too wide, and, and the, it fit real sloppy. I couldn't figure out what was going on, so I... I uh, took this somebody and finally figured out there's a brand new router and the shaft was crooked. And so that thing was spinning like this as it went around at, you know, 45,000 RPMs. And so whoever put that router together did not put it together according to specifications. And so it didn't work, and that's the way things are. You know, when you design something, if, if the people putting it together don't put it together correctly, it does not work. I've called the message this morning, Designer Marriage, because believe it or not, somebody designed marriage. It wasn't just somebody, something thought, you know, something that somebody thought up someday and said, hmm, I, I wonder what would happen. You know, maybe we should have the man and the woman come together and, and make this lifelong commitment. That wasn't how it started. Marriage was designed by God from the very beginning. Uh, we find it in the first chapters of the Bible. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man divide. And so we see that God here has designed marriage. I also, in the first message, shared something that may be unique to your understanding of marriage, that marriage is not just about companionship. It's not just about an environment to have children. It's not just a sexual thing. It is actually a metaphor that God intended to illustrate his relationship between Christ and the church. And so it's actually a living illustration that is to model that. That's why marriage is sacred. And so God has, we see here in Ephesians 5, we see that God has designed marriage and let me just read through it. I'm going to start in verse 21. He says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. But we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what we see here is that there are, there is a relationship and there are really two different roles or different scripts that the director of this has designed. And so if you want to think of that, you know, if, if you were director of a play and, and two people came in and you said, okay, one of them, I want one of you to play the role of the hero and I want one of you to play the role of the villain in this, in this production. And I have purposes for this production. And so one person is assigned to play one role, another is assigned to play another role. Doesn't mean one actor is better than the other actor. They're both of equal value. In fact, the one playing either role could, could win the Oscar for uh, how they play that role. In the marriage relationship, it's not about importance of roles or, or equal value of roles. It's just about that there are two different roles that God asks these two people to play. So according to Ephesians 5, we see that God has given each person a role. And I'm just going to take a few moments here, and I'm not going to spend a long time. This is something, if you are a wife, if you are a husband, that you need to really take time to think and pray and study and discern what this means, because this is your role. We see the, the role of the wife, verses 21 to 24. We read that just a minute ago. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So, here's what we have. The role of the wife in this drama, in this metaphor... Which, by the way, wives, you're asked to do it not because your husband is, is, is deserves it, not because he's doing a good job. You do it out of reverence for Christ. You do it out of your reverence for the fact that you respect for Christ because he has designed this to be functioning and for you to function in a certain way. The wife is to voluntarily put herself under her husband's leadership and authority. She plays the church in this metaphor drama that's going on. That's her role. She is to do this out of respect for God. As I mentioned, it's not about submitting because her husband is a great leader or because he's doing his job well. It's because out of her respect... For God, it's what he's called her to play. Now, I have read, I've read countless articles over the years 
I've gone full circle on this whole thing. And I've read the articles, and they go back in the Greek and say, well, you know, it says the husband is head of the wife in Greek. The head, the word head can really mean source. So he's really not saying he's in authority, a position of authority. He's just saying that the source of the wife was the husband back from Genesis and, and all of these theological gymnastics to try and get around this point that somehow there is an authority structure in the home and the husband is the head of the wife. And I have just come to the conclusion that this is not all that complicated. That there is a design, and in the design, there is an authority. We all understand authority. We understand it in the, you know, with parents and children. The children aren't in charge of the parents. Uh, in the government, we understand there's someone in charge. We'll be voting this fall to put someone in a, that position of authority. We're not voting for two presidents. If you're part of a company, there's a president of the company. Uh, we, we understand the importance of someone being in charge of every institution on the face of the earth. And so it just makes sense that in the home, someone has to play the role of the one that is in the position of authority. And I think that in God's design, that is the man, that is the husband in this situation. That is the role that the woman is to fulfill. Now, so the, the woman has her script and the man has his script. And you know what often happens is that when the man isn't reading his lines, then the wife will start helping him with his lines. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, honey, these are your lines. Let me help you. Uh, let me help you understand what your lines are. And we start getting into each other's script. And what happens with men is, is that when wives start saying their lines, they won't tell you this, but they get embarrassed. They get embarrassed that their wife is having to tell them their lines. So you know what they do? They just put aside the script and say, I'll go find some other script. I'll go be a man at my job or out on the basketball court or on the golf course or somewhere else, and they basically just check out. I have seen it happen time and time and time again. Each one is given their own script, and, and you cannot... You cannot play the role of the other person. It, it does not work in the relationship. So what does that look like? Well, Peter's concluding comments to women are, do not give way to fear. Evidently, being a woman and fulfilling this role can be a fearful thing to do, maybe because there is a sense of vulnerability there of, of having to depend on this other person to play their part, and if not, things may unravel. That's kind of a scary place to be. And so women are, wives are admonished not to give way to this fear. And, uh, you know, especially if you don't trust the other person that they're going to say their lines. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of self-discipline to live out this role for a wife. It is not an easy thing to do. So how do you do it? I'm not going to give a lot of specifics. I'm just going to say this. You need to pray about this. You need to talk to older women who have, who have lived with husbands for 30, 40 years and find out how they've done it, how they've been able to survive. Um, you need to 
give up and set aside that tendency to read his lines. You need to realize what your responsibility is to God and what his responsibility is to God. You need to share your opinion, and then you need to let it go. Again, study the scriptures. Ask God to show you. Uh, you can ask your husband what this looks like to him. And this does not mean that a woman is passive. Remember, the woman is playing the role of the church. The church is the one that carries out the mission of Christ. I mean, the church is anything but passive. Uh, the church is very active, but is under the authority of Christ and following the purposes of Christ. And so we see here that this is not a passive role at all. Here's just a little clip. I, I, I pulled out a little clip for, for the women, and then I'll show one for the men. But here, here's just a little clip Tears for the women. Tears just started rolling down my eyes, and I was listening to this Enrique Iglesias song, Hero, and thinking, my husband is not my hero, and what am I going to do? I had a lot of doubts in myself. I had a lot of doubts in him, and... I didn't know if he was ever going to be the man I wanted him to be. I blamed everything I was scared of, everything in my life I didn't like on him. There was constant fights, constant bickering, and very little communication that actually went anywhere. There was something inside of me, this burning ember that said, you've got to fight for this. There's got to be something that you're not seeing. I went to a woman who specializes in communication and she said, you know what, you have reached a point in your relationship where there is nothing to salvage. so." you need to get divorced. And not literally get divorced, but on paper, get divorced. Write divorce papers and recreate this relationship from scratch. And we wrote divorce papers to each other, saying what we were leaving behind, what we hated, what we didn't want anymore, all of the stuff that we kept trying to fix that wasn't where we even wanted to begin. And then we folded those up, and then we got a whole new piece of paper and we rewrote all of the things that we wanted to create in this new relationship and approached it like we were going to start dating again because it gave me an opportunity to have anything that I wanted, anything at all, and he and I got to do it together. The best thing I was able to learn was listening to what his needs are and whether I agreed or not, compromising to fulfill his needs and my needs. My life now is an incredible dream. It's a beautiful little white picket fence family and it, it, I'm surprised. I catch myself looking at it saying, how, how did this happen? But I know that hard work and knowing, believing, having faith just really gets you through the hardest time. The mantra that I have to say to myself constantly is, So ladies, that's the one I want you to remember. Shh, listen. You will be amazed at what comes out of your husband's mouth if you will listen. So just remember that. Shh, listen. Submit to your husbands in everything. That is a challenge. But wait till we get to the men. Guys, I think the women have it easy. Now, <clears throat> not that it's easy for women, but when you began to look at what God says to the men, the guys are going, hey, that's kind of cool. I'm in charge. Yeah, well, with privilege comes responsibility. You ever heard that one? With a place of privilege comes responsibility. 
if you're any kind of a leader, you know what this is like. You know what it's like to walk into a meeting and you know there's important stuff that needs to be done and who's ever supposed to be the leader is not leading. The person comes 10 minutes late, meeting's supposed to start at 7, at 7.30, everybody's still shooting the breeze, and then he says something like this. You know, I've been really busy this week and I didn't have time to put together an agenda. So then what if he said... So what do you guys think we should talk about? If you're a part of a team like that, with a leader like that, I assure you it won't be long for you're looking for another place to serve. So guys, when God puts us in a position and gives us a script of leadership and authority in the home and we don't lead, that's what it's like for your wife. She's seeing all this important stuff. She sees how important the family is and how the important the relationships are with, with children and, and husband and wife, and she sees all this stuff. She realizes you've got the lines. She can't say your lines, but you're not saying them. You're not leading. It is very frustrating and very difficult for the gals in that situation and that's why the design that God made begins to break down when either of the two people don't follow their script. And so we have all kinds of dysfunction in marriage. We have probably just some level of dysfunction in all of our marriages. And it generally gets back to one or the other or both not sticking to the script and not fulfilling their lines. Whenever there's a leadership vacuum someone usually steps in to try and fill it. In that case, the temptation is for the woman to do that. The more she does that, the more the man steps back, and pretty soon the whole design of this relationship is out of whack. And most wives on some level will take over by way of default if their husbands do not fulfill this role. Here's the husband's role. To initiate servant leadership and to care for his wife. That is his role in the script. It's to be a servant leader and to care for his wife. It says in the text here, as his own body. And the man is living out in the metaphor, he's living out the character of Christ. That's why I say it is such a huge challenge for the men. If we don't play the role, the whole design breaks down. And most marriage counselors will tell you that in 80 to 90% of marriages, they will say, that the initial problem, the initial problem is with the man. And I think that's true in light of the fact that the man, as we see here, has this initiating leadership role in the relationship. You know, the radical thing that's said to the wife is this, submit to your husbands in everything. The radical thing for the husband is, give yourself up for her as Christ gave himself up for the church. So we're not talking about a dozen roses here. We're talking about a willingness to give up your life, your energy, your time, your thoughts, your priorities for the benefit and the welfare of your wife, just as Christ does the church. In fact, Christ was willing to go to the cross for the welfare of the church. I have a pastor friend, uh, he's about my age, was out in Montana, and we visited him a while back, and uh, we were having this conversation, and he, he made the comment, he said, you know, if I never did another wedding, the rest of my ministry, it would be fine by me. 
He says, I hate weddings. He's got a way of being very adamant about things. I said, so, so why is that? He said, I sit down with this couple, and they got this look in their eye, and I just know what they're thinking, you know. This is the man that's going to do this for me, and this is the gal that's going to do this for me. And he said, I want to look at him, and I want to I just sit down and say, are you guys ready to die? Because that's what this is about. That's what marriage is about. It's about being willing to die. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to, ready, you know, are you ready to die to yourself? Are you ready to die to your own script and, and live out this design that God has given to you? Guys, we die first. Christ died first. And so... You know, we may not like that part. I don't like the fact that the guy is the initiating lover. But that's the way it is. It's the guy who's called to stick his neck out first. It's two verses that come to mind. We love him because he first loved us. That's one of them. And the other one is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if we plug in this metaphor, this is how it reads. It reads like this. Wives love their husbands because they first love their wives. That's what, that's what the metaphor would live out to be. Our wives love us because we first love them. We are the initiating lovers in the relationship. Or the second one. While our wives were yet sinners... Their husbands died for them. In other words, while we had our hand in God's face, he took the initiating act to die on the cross for us. So guys, when your wife has her hand in your face, it is our responsibility to take that first step in reaching out. So how does a guy practically do this? Again, you need to pray. You need to talk to other men. You need to... Uh, exercise leadership in the relationship. You know, here's the problem. We go to work. We have responsibilities. We have goals for the day, maybe for the year. Maybe we're looking out three years. We have all these plans. We carry them out. We have evaluations. We do all this, and we get done with work, and we walk home, and man, it is time to chill out, right? It's time to relax. We've been working all day. We've been, for many people, we've been involved in leadership. And the point here is that, you know, the home is important. Uh, it needs a leader. And by design, men, we are wired to be that leader. Now, we don't need to be doing all the stuff, but we need to be the leader. And so we need to be thinking and talking about our family. We need to be the ones that sit down and say, okay, let's look ahead this year. What are some things that we want to do? What are some things that, that we need to fix? You know, what are some goals that we need to take? There needs to be that somebody's going to do that leadership. And it needs to be the men. Just some examples, and then I'm going to conclude here. Again, it doesn't mean that we have to do anything. Our wives are extremely talented. They can help us in many ways, but there are some certain things that we need to be doing. Number one, our spiritual walk. That's my responsibility. Guys, that's our responsibility to be have a vital spiritual walk. Our wives 
should not be reminding us that we need to have a vital spiritual walk. That's up to us. Uh, the moral and spiritual vision of the home, just kind of that overall view and look of the home, that is our responsibility to see that moral vision of the home and to keep tabs on what's going on there. A, a time when we pray or devotional time, if it's together with a family, it should be the guy who sets the tone in that as, as the leader. Not that the wife can't be involved with that, but again, that's one of the things. Reconciliation. The husband is the, is the reconciling initiator just as Christ was, a was the initiating reconciler in the relationship with the church. Again, if you're wondering what it looks like, just look back to the metaphor that we're living out. And then just the state of the family. The husband should be the one that, you know, periodically sits down and says, how are things going around here? I've been really busy at work. You know, how are the kids doing? How are you doing? You know, what's going on? That is just some of the things of what it means to lead. Here's a little clip uh, for the men that I pulled out. Some of you will recognize this from the movie uh, Fireproof. <clears throat> Dad, for the last three weeks, I have been over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Isn't it? No. Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is, you can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. I couldn't truly love your mother until I understood what love really was. It's not because I get some reward out of it. I've now made a decision to love your mother whether she deserves it or not. Son, God loves you even though you don't deserve it. Even though you've rejected him. Spat in his face. God sent Jesus to die on the cross and take the punishment for your sin. Because he loves you. That's our role, man. The role of Christ and his church. That kind of love. Well, let me conclude. The way our culture in the 21st century, the way the first century culture would respond to what has been said this morning, uh, they would view this as extremely radical. Uh, first century culture, the average male in Greek culture was married at age 30. 
His wife, her average age, was 16 to 18 years of age. He had been involved in active sexually probably for at least 10 years. Uh, his wife was basically for the purpose of having children. She didn't bear him a son. He was, could legitimately divorce her. At meals, many times she was not allowed at the table. If she was, it was a bench at the end of the table, and when the meal was over, she was required to leave. That was the role of women in the Greek culture into which Paul spoke these words. So you can understand how radical, how ultimately radical these words are. Now, we live in a different day. We've come through the Enlightenment. We've come through the Industrial Revolution. Uh, the, the Enlightenment brought us the whole thing of rights. And, and many of that good things, you know, the right to vote, just, just many things over that 300-year period. It also brought women out of the home into the workplace. In 1885, 90% of all goods used in the home were made in the home. It's probably 95% now are outside of the home. But this still strikes our culture, even though we're different, in a different way as being extremely radical. Extremely radical. This morning, I want to end by just giving you the key to living out this design. Actually, I, I did something this morning that if you're really going to understand, if we're going to understand this passage, I did something that you should never do. And because of the way your Bible is written, you, don't, you didn't see this or you didn't catch this. But when I began with verse 21, I began in the middle of a sentence. So I want to back up. And there's two things that are very interesting about this text. This this text is verses 18 to 23 is one sentence. In, in the original language, verses 18, it begins and it doesn't end till 23. So, this is what the sentence really is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting yourselves to one another of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. And then he takes a breath. And then he goes on and, and continues this. The other thing that's very interesting is that there's only one subject and one verb in that whole reading. Only one subject and only one verb. Everything else is what we call participles. Now, a participle is like an adjective. An adjective describes a noun, like she wore a white dress. You know, white tells what kind of dress. A participle describes is, is like an adjective, except it describes a verb. So if I said he was walking steadily, steadily tells how he was walking. So here's how the text reads. Here's the subject. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be you, be filled with the Spirit. That's the subject and the verb, and the only verb in that whole sentence. 
Be filled with the Spirit. So how do you do that? Well, you do that, and all the rest are participles. You do that by speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and singing music in your hearts to God and always giving thanks to God and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As you do this, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life and enables you to live this out. All of us know we can't live this out. We fall flat on our face with this design. The only hope we have is to live in the power of God's Spirit. And so if there's anything that you take away this morning that I want you to hear, it is that, that it is by God's Spirit. Father, this morning I thank you for this text. Lord, as we conclude this service this morning, May we truly understand how dependent we are upon your Spirit to live out this design in our lives. May we seek to be filled by your Spirit. May we seek to be obedient to you in this design so that your Spirit can thrive in us. Lord, our relationships are often difficult, and so we pray. Lord, give us wisdom. Open our eyes. Fill us with your Spirit that we might be able to experience the joy and wonder and the goodness of the marriage relationship. Father, bless the gifts now that are given as we conclude this service. Uh, just speak to us as we ponder in these last few moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.